Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Which one is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. The second captain's world service. That's... Yeah. They have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist. But having said that, I want to be like me. But you don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I managed to stay alive for six days. I'd say it to your face, and I'll say it to you now. I'm down to Anfield, and we'll see them, won't we? What you doing down here, you surely man. There was a poignant moment at the Emirates Stadium after Arsenal's hammering of Crystal Palace at the weekend as the under-pressure Palace boss Roy Hodgson stood staring at the away end where the fans held up a banner which read Wasted potential on and off the pitch, weak decisions taking us backwards. What was he thinking about as he read those words? Did he sense this was the end for him? Was his entire career, illustrious, lengthy career in management flashing before his eyes? I was waiting for the players to come off the pitch was the disappointing answer he gave to the bloodthirsty media who are circling afterwards. Welcome to Monday's Second Captain's Football Podcast. Hey, guys. Hey, on how's it going? Uh, Have you been you bloodthirsty recently? Not especially. No. Well, I mean, since the Neil Lennon thing, I suppose, your bloodlust has been sated for another couple of weeks. Well, that that's not take? looking for blood. That's the opposite, if there's such a thing as you, the opposite. Well, you're, well, you're sniffing out a story, I suppose, rather than lusting for Look, blood. I'm just trying to, you know... Lusting for news blood. I'm trying to get the right man for the Ireland job and... Anyone who might be interested, I'm just getting them to confirm or deny their interest. Any word from Carsley yet this week, no? No word from Carsley that I know of. I feel an Irish managerial update must be on the cards. I know you're someone who enjoys a long wordy banner. Oh, I do. Like the Everton yeah. poems. So were you impressed with the work of the Palace supporters? I don't know if you noticed, it was actually four separate banners. Yeah. Well, uh, what I would say about the four separate banners is yeah. at least it was readable. Yeah. You know, because a lot of those Everton banners were just like reams of text on one small banner, which just led to you like, squ- like t- you know, taking your glasses off and squinting at your TV. Well, the problem is that the the, ban- the first time I saw the banner, the Palace one on the TV footage, the people holding up the top pa- banner they were, lazy, were a bit lazy. So you're, I was like, what's the start? I, I can read the latter part of the message, mm-hmm. but it doesn't make sense without the top part. But they got there in the end. Well, the Everton banners, the great, the great thing about the Everton banners is that they rhymed. Oh, yeah, they, they were wrote, poems. They were literary poems. Dog roll. Yeah. Whereas this palace banner, I see Clive Martin tweeting, it reads like a fucking Ofsted report. <laughs> um, it says, wasted potential on and off the pitch, weak decisions. Now, I think there's a really, there's an open goal there, rhyme-wise. Okay. Sorry, what was the first line again? Wasted potential on and off the pitch. Yeah. Now, I'm thinking, if I'm if I'm rhyming, yeah, I'm already. I've, I've already got an idea of what might be the last word in this, <laughs> right? Okay, but what they've Rich, what right? the, what they've put is weak decisions taking us backwards. Yeah, there was another it's one. A wasted opportunity. No shared vision. No structured plan. Parish out. Yanks out. <laughs> Yanks out. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, you'd have to say Yanks also presents certain rhyming what, so, uh, what, possibilities what, what as well. The, what was the full content of that? I'll show you it there. Now, for, unfortunately, I only saw it on Match of the Day, so Alan Shearer's head is slightly obscuring the Yanks out bit, but it certainly looks like Yanks out. You can read it there. No shared vision, no structured plan. Like, what is this? Where? Mm. What, what is this This management speak that we're getting from the supporters? <laughs> I know, it is hilarious. <laughs> It does look like parish out, yanks out there, doesn't it? Not yeah, doing the fans I, a disservice. I think it is. I think it is. Why a something 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 out? Yeah, I think I think it probably is yanks yeah. out. Um, but uh, okay, I mean f- five nil. It's not great. It's not a. It's not a. It's not a great result. It was one of those games where 
it was a close enough five nil. You know, it, it was it was sort of you know they they bundle in a couple of goals at at corners and of course Gabriel he was he maybe he's equalised in karmic terms from uh, Newcastle earlier this season. Remember he obviously mm-hmm. was the victim of Joe Linton's unpunished foul when Newcastle scored that uh, goal, the Anthony Gordon goal, controversial. Uh, this time Gabriel was jockeying on one of the Palace defenders as he um, he was the first goal. Um, Second one he scored. Third one was a lovely counter-attack by um, Arsenal. Uh, the Trossard goal, which delighted Mikel Arteta so much, particularly with the role of David Raya. A lot of people have criticised David Raya. A lot of people criticise Mikel Arteta as well for picking David Raya. But David Raya produced the throw. Um, of, un- of unmatched quality. Uh, oh. Tremendous. Steve per- Backley would have been proud. Perception, accuracy. It had everything. Gabriel Jesus gives it to Trussard. Whatever, whatever. Um, lovely finish by Trussard. And then Martinelli scores uh, two identical goals. Thought about bread, actually. But regardless. Yes, there were a lot of great javelin throwers there were in that era. Javelin. Listen, it was a golden late era 80s, for early 90s. He was talking for a while. <laughs> but we were looking well, do you know what? We're going we'll, we'll, to we'll get the report on Sports yeah, I yeah. did just want to mention also where we will be talking about the Asian Cup on the podcast today where Palestine play their final group match tomorrow with a chance of progressing to the knockout stage. Samindra Kunti is covering the tournament. He's going to talk to us about how the team has been doing its best to compete in Qatar while the horror rages on in Gaza. That is after Ken's report on sport. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts, they said, What the f are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Is it the influence of too many, too much high performance culture, too much, too much grind set culture? That you that we see in those banners from Palace fans, mm. you know, uh, every, just, everyone's listening to Jake Humphrey. A lot of the language is or diary of CEO. Yeah, yeah. Or, 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 or it's like not really how that. people talk, is it? Like, well, it is now, though. Yeah, we're getting we're getting to the point where it is. I th- I do think it's it's uh, it's uh, you can see these these things happening. The podcast uh, grind set becomes reality. Uh, I mean, there was. I don't know if you saw any of Ivan Tony on Sar- on Saturday night. It was Saturday, wasn't it? Yeah, amazing. Did you see any of it? You're telling me you didn't sit down for Brentford against Nottingham Forest? I, I was watching a lot of rugby on on Saturday. You know, there was, oh, was, lot, there, was a lot, there was a lot of good Champions Cup rugby happening. So that's what I went for. I mean, you can tell me I made the wrong decision. I don't think I did. Uh, well, Nottingham Forest have written a letter to somebody. Oh God, I can't. Who who have they even written to? This is so so. Forest have written a letter complaining about the fact that Ivan Tony, who just returned from an eight month ban for breaking rules on gambling, broke more rules. Mm. He broke the rules about putting the ball down in the place where you're supposed to take the free kick from. Or he broke the rules about not moving the ball from that place once it's been put there. Didn't he also like kind of move a little bit of the white foam yes. as well? I mean, I thought that was good. He, uh, there, It was. Now, to yeah, me, yeah. I think this was much less serious than Ivan Tony's gambling. Mm. He was saying stuff like, I was just betting on myself to score first. You're like, yeah, you're not allowed to bet on yourself at all. You're not allowed to do that. Like, it's not a... He's like, oh, you know, it was a big deal. Now, this, uh, I thought this free kick, this was good um, uh, football cheating. You know what I mean? It's, a, mm. it's, a, it's cheating. Is it cheating? It kind of is. Not at all, according to Tony, who seemed to have an interpretation of the rules that I'd never heard before, where he said, oh, no, yeah, you get it. You're given a yard. You're allowed to move it a yard either side. And I'm yeah, like, yeah, yeah. are you? <laughs> I'd never heard it. But uh, he, I don't think it's in the rules, Alan. But it, is there, anything, is there yeah. anything not in the rules about it? 
I don't think there's anything in the rules about not picking up a blob of the referee's shaving foam and replacing mm. it in a place more propitious, more advantageous yeah. for you to take the free kick. I, mean, I, I mean, don't think they've made a rule against yeah. that. Yeah, and it's it's really unfortunate that Nottingham Forest, the Nottingham Forest players were locked in place, that they were incapable of moving. Uh, oh, he's moved the ball half a yard. Why don't we adjust our position slightly? Well, what were they looking at? Well, well, well this, is, this is the whole thing. This is the whole point about it. Nottingham Forest have written a whining letter to Howard Webb uh, to complain that the referee and VAR didn't spot what Ivan Tony was doing. The whole point is that your players should be spotting that. If your players are not spotting that, you can hardly point the finger at the referee because he didn't spot it either. Why did he not spot it? Because he's trying to organize your players to stand yeah. in, a, in a wall. Like, That's why they didn't spot precisely- it either. Precisely 10 yards away. <laughs> your, your job, the, the, your player's job is to try and defend the goal. Also, you're supposed to be positioning the wall. I mean, he, the goalkeeper did that, and then Tony moved the ball. And then nobody noticed, and Tony <laughs> scored a great free kick, just lashing around the side, uh, and nobody had nobody had sort of picked up on it. I think 1-0 Ivan Tony. Fair, fair enough, I think, you know. And if Nottingham Forest didn't notice, that's on them. But instead, there's this uh, whining letter. Why, why is nobody looking out for us? Why is nobody looking after us? I, I find it difficult to feel uh, sorry for them that the referees didn't notice something that they themselves didn't notice. Usually a team notices a game-changing infraction committed against that team. I mean, teams are good at picking up that kind of stuff, usually. But in this case, I haven't only capitalized on a moment of, you know... A lack of awareness from Forrest. I also feel uh, where do, where's it, uh, what what do you write about? And what don't you write about now? Off to Howard Webb, <laughs> looking for something from him. You know, should Crystal Palace be writing because Leandro Trossard spent almost every corner kick just deliberately blocking Anderson, their big centre half, so he couldn't get a clear header in the ball? No, they shouldn't. But if everyone else seems to be doing it, then why not? Well, there is you know there is something uh, I think about that. I mean, we'll, we'll get to that, actually, when we talk about the Liverpool game. Because this sort of... Th- there is a way to uh, defuse that penalty area blocking. And um, and one team has shown how to do it. But I'll... Ooh, you can, you'll have to, cliffhanger. You'll have to, you'll a cliffhanger to that's going to be me. resolved within the same episode. You'll have to remind me to come back to that. Because we're not finished talking about Ivan Tony. Because okay. Ivan Tony, his introduction to the game was, was incredible, right? He is a... He's a guy who's been banned for eight months. It's been a pretty bad season for Brentford, really. Um, he was one of their most important players, obviously. Uh, what he did was completely uh, self-inflicted. Like, it was utterly stupid, uh, breaking of the rules, importantly, getting caught. Um, but, you know, I mean, breaking the... Uh, I'm going to criticise him more for breaking the rules than getting caught, but both, are, both were, were bad. Both affected him badly and Brentford badly. And yet... His return to this game was literally like, it reminded me a bit of when uh, Real Madrid signed Ronaldo <laughs> in terms of the, his, his intro to the game. Oh, oh. The opening seven minutes of uh, the Maradona documentary. Oh, incredible. Just unbelievable stuff, you know? And, and oh, you know, hail, hail Ivan, you're back. And then, obviously, he scores a great goal, breaking the rules again. Um, you know, this guy, you know, you just can't keep a, keep a good man down. He does a post-match interview, and the post-match interview is when I just thought, oh, my God. Okay, let's, let's just play the first 25 seconds or so. It means a lot. Uh, a long time coming. I mean, I manifested this about the time I was out, and uh, I'm here now, and uh, I'm just buzzing to be back, scoring goals and winning with the team. In your darkest moments, did you ever imagine these scenes would happen again? Of course, 100%. Uh, like, like I said, I manifest things like this. And before the game, before I left my house, I thought, yeah, we're winning today and I'm scoring. And I made it happen, so it's good. Yeah, I made it happen. That's the first time he said manifesting. I thought, did he say that? Then he said it, then he said it a second time immediately. And I'm always just after the question, why did you manifest not getting banned for eight months? You know, like, why, why, why is your manifestation on such a limited level? Why don't you dare to dream big, Ivan Tony? I suppose is what I'm saying. I mean, it's, it's amazing to me that people will, that someone like, this is, is is doing a, a TV interview talking about like his power of controlling the universe with his mind. Mm. It's incredible. Manifesting. I mean, there used to be a word for that, which is like uh, hope. I hoped I would score. <laughs> <laughs> or even you could say... But there's a, a certain, there's a lack of, uh, you know, uh, personal uh, determination there. You know what I mean? You can yeah. hope. We're all hoping. Like, we're all hoping for the best. Whereas like manifesting uh, a 3-2 win at home to Nottingham Forest... <laughs> Yeah. You know, you, he probably even manifested the Nottingham Forest 
uh, goal to start uh, the opening goal of the game. Well, he must know? have because that's how things happen in the universe. First, mm. Ivan Tony manifests it or dreams he, it. Manif- it he manifested adversity, and then he yeah. manifested overcoming that adversity. Well, I mean, people used to also speak in terms of prayer, you know. Yeah. Like, I mean, I I sit and I think about what I want to happen and I pray for that thing to happen. It's not always like, it's not like people are always praying for a specific thing, a specific Mm. real world outcome, you know. Sometimes it's more general or more abstract. But um, with prayer, I think there's at least the kind of a rationale that makes some sort of sense of me. Like, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, ask the supreme being to do me a favor mm. hopefully they will seems a little weak though in the manifestation mindset you know what i mean it's like you're handing it over to what well, the supreme being whereas if you're manifesting it yourself then you are the supreme being you are the master of your own domain king of the castle like yeah doing it with your own mind like yuri geller or whatever i mean i'm sure there is a value to to sort of figuring out what it is that you want you know, like if you spend some time kind of focusing on that, then maybe you are more likely to ultimately get that thing because you've sort of been thinking about it and you're sort of angling yourself towards it and maybe that's going to help. Um, it's but- it's like an extended version of the vis- visualization that John Giles has talked about, not that he called it that, but that he would do back in the 1960s. Yeah, where, Visual- he, where he would literally wait, lay in bed at night thinking about a specific scenario that was going to develop the next day and how he would deal with that scenario. I think that's that's more, though, in the category of planning. You know, I here's here's some things that could happen. You know, let's wargame some scenarios. This is a situation that could develop. If this happens, maybe I'll try to do this. That, to me, is like a more conventional planning. Manifesting, as Ivan Tony says, I made this happen. That's, hmm, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I don't really understand the underlying physics of that uh, or indeed how it's advantageous to have this as a mental, you know, uh, as a belief because it's not just the goal that you score against Nottingham Forest that you manifest. It's also everything else. And, uh, you know, there can be bad things too. Um, And if you're manifesting everything, uh, then I suppose you've manifested the bad things as well. Will there be a big move manifested in the next while? He's, he has sent what you could describe as mixed signals over the last month on that. Uh, originally he was talking about how much he owed Brentford and then he was talking about how, of course, it's always the dream to play for a big club. Well, they should have they so asked him, you know, what are you manifesting? You know, what can we expect to happen next in this world of ours, Ivan? What big dreams have you got planned for us? Um yeah, um, he's a Pisces, of course. I'm <laughs> uh, born in the year of the rat. Uh, uh, what? Um, oh, I actually, do, I tried to say something about the moon or something. I actually don't even understand. What's his moon? Is that a thing that people say? Uh, he's ruled by Neptune and Jupiter. Okay, um, they're planets. I, I mean, not moons, I was planets. looking. I was like, "What is? What are? What's a the most famous uh, Pisces include Justin Bieber, Rihanna, Drew Barrymore, Emily Blunt, Chelsea Handler, Rebel Wilson, Dakota Fanning. They're all women. Ivan Tony. Well, Justin Bieber. Oh, Justin Bieber. Sorry, yeah. Um, indecision and low self esteem are common traits of Pisces. Smart, creative, deeply intuitive. They can be close to psychic. Well. Now we're getting somewhere. Yeah, yeah. That is basically what, it, that, that's what Ivan Tony is talking about here. Although it is hard, you know, you, you search like Pisces and, and it says like, you know, you know the way it, show, it shows you all the list of questions uh, and you start clicking on them and it says, what is the main character of a Pisces? Aquatic, freshwater or marine, herbivorous or carnivorous, cold-blooded, oviparous or ovoviviparous vertebrates body usually streamlined spindle shaped some are elongated snake like a few are dorsal ventrally compressed and differentiated into head trunk and tail and I'm thinking that's a fish you're a person who calls a spade a spade this thing is not that appears to be a fish is less useful than it used to be like these yeah. these searches they just sort of um, they they kind of seem to generate a lot more um bad responses than um, than I used to get uh, even just a few years ago I mean I'm, I'm manifesting currently getting rid of that Alistair Campbell ad that keeps coming up I don't know if you've seen the um, I mean I haven't clicked, clicked on the link but I clicked on a on a tweet there uh, about half an hour ago and that ad appeared twice in the replies I've never seen that before 
if he blocked that, if he blocked the person displaying that ad, another one pops another up. Another one pops three, up. Three, you know, yeah. apparently Bank of Ireland is suing Alistair Campbell. Yeah. I can't wait to see what for. <laughs> <laughs> it seems to be something he said of the Late Late Show. No, I'm going to read it in court reports. <laughs> Conor Gallagher isn't writing it. I'm not interested. Yeah. Uh, but that is, yeah, I suppose the internet is, is changing. I see someone... Um, complaining uh, the Paris Angel I think saying the, a tweet uh, from a Liverpool account saying Conor Bradley getting an assist on his Premier League debut is going to go under the radar but honestly this is just the beginning line break you're looking at Liverpool's main right back for the next decade line break special special talent and the person just comes can't the young lad just have a good game for them why does it have to be this <laughs> well the reason it has to be this is because this is now the format of like every viral this is just the way football is now spoken about on the internet it's like in it's like kind of massive overstatement with line breaks and a picture and that's how that's how you have a viral <laughs> football tweet well there was nothing under the radar about Darwin Nunez's performance Ken wow but a few people Letting us know, in no uncertain terms, that this man is the first Premier League player this season to reach 20 goals and assists in, 20, all, in all comps. 20 goals and assists in all comps. Well, that is, uh, it's a pretty good performance. Yeah. It's in, it's in, yeah, it's in all comps. And if you include, well, if you include all comps, he's got even more than that. I think it's 15 goals. If you include the five he scored for Uruguay and, uh, and I guess 12 or 13 assists. Mm. Um, but, you know, usually we don't include, um, the, you know what what you've scored in national team games and so on and so forth uh, I mean why not just start including goals you score in training you know I mean he's he's scored a lot but he put on come on Ken what? that's come on can we just can we just wallow for a minute in the high production of Darwin Nunez well the, the incredible production it's it, Dr. Darwin's finishing clinic at Bournemouth uh, was uh, was it was impressive I mean it was a it really was a, a very impressive second half, particularly from uh, Liverpool. Uh, and actually, it's, I mean, Darwin, you talk about Darwin being productive, but both Jota and Salah have got more uh, or rather fewer minutes per um, per goal involvement uh, than, I mean, you know, the BBC had a graphic last night showing Holland as top of that. 78 minutes per goal or assist. Salah is 79 minutes per goal or assist. Jota, 84 minutes. Nunez, 88 minutes. I mean, that's phenomenal. Mm. Three of them at close to Haaland levels of production. Maybe Haaland hasn't had his, his best season. Also, I think Haaland does score a lot of goals and those goals and assists. You know, well, Jot has the best Premier League finisher, best Liverpool finisher in the Premier League era, according to Jamie Carragher, who yeah. sort of said it and then kind of said, "Well, obviously Robbie Fowler." <laughs> yeah, it was like he almost rolled back on it, even as the words came out of his mouth. Yeah, I, I mean, I think Jota is a good finisher. Um, he's he hits the ball very with a lot of venom. He's he hits the ball in a straight line very accurately. I think Fowler was kind of more artistic. You know, he had a he had a bit a more of a range of of. Um, uh, of finishes, uh, I think Suarez as well was, you know, phenomenal. Yeah, that's a ridiculous statement by Jamie Carragher, yeah. really, isn't it? But actually, the goal that he scored, the, the the one where he, yeah, where, yeah the, <laughs> you mentioned Michael Owen, the the one that he he scored where he where Bradley Bradley's assist, uh, which first of all he he made a mockery of those saying he was the most clinical finisher by completely air kicking the first chance, mm. and then uh, reacted faster than anybody to smack in the second one. Um, which reminded me of Owen actually against Arsenal in the in the FA Cup final. Do you remember that goal? Similar type of I'm falling over, but I'm going to hit the ball extremely hard. In any case, um, his first goal in that game, uh, Michael Owen, that is. But they, um, yeah, they play play really well because Bournemouth um, have been uh, are were the second team in the form table. Um, they. Uh, you know, I've been kind of beating everybody up, and obviously Solanke, who who I think a couple of people got on saying, "Well, how could you say? Sol- how could we take you seriously when you said maybe they'd be better off with Solanke?" Solanke's got, I think, twelve Premier League. Is it twelve goals? Well, he's the reigning Premier League Player of the Month. Yeah, I mean, he's he's been doing exceptionally well. Um, he didn't really um, he he didn't really have any chances in this game. Uh, it started the the first goal started off with Van Dijk getting the better of him, then quick passes forward. Oh no, this this sorry, this was the the Jota goal. Um, it was great play by the whole front three, the Liverpool front three. They've had this quite a lot, um, 
with Jada, um, Nunez and Gakpo all involved uh, for Jada's goal. But uh, Diaz obviously wasn't there uh, by that point. Diaz had done well, I think, to get to that point because he was the victim of a massive uh, foul by Justin Clivert, which they decided was fine. Um, which was interesting just because you've seen like loads of red cards this season for things very similar or or not as bad actually as this foul. Uh including one on the, the obvious one one involving Liverpool with uh, Curtis Jones. But the thing about this um this whole episode, I think it was Liverpool's fault um that the that this did not get punished by a red card, or they contributed to that outcome by playing on. So it was a really strange situation where Diaz was a it was a Liverpool player who got injured. Bournemouth, I think, won the ball back, but Liverpool had it back really quickly. But then they just played on as though he was like an opposing team's player. While Diaz is lying there, not just lying on the pitch, but actively calling for medical uh, <laughs> medical assistance, right? He is obviously something bad has happened. Now, in terms of the players who saw it, McAllister was right there. He should have seen it. He wasn't really involved in the uh, possession. Canade definitely saw it because he appealed immediately. I'm not sure maybe the other players weren't weren't didn't realize how bad it was. But it seems to me when you've got a teammate down who is raising his hand, calling for help, you need to put the ball out. And this is the thing I was talking about earlier. Um, in terms of this is a difference in the game compared to how it was uh, before VAR, um, where the rule is, you know, play the whistle. Play the whistle is like an old piece of football wisdom, which is less relevant now because the whistle isn't necessarily the end of the disciplinary decision on what's just happened. Hold on a second. This is the cliffhanger that you're bringing us back to. Yes. Okay, good, good, good. There is one team that knows how to do this, and that team, unsurprisingly, is Manchester City. (laughs) Um, if you remember Manchester City at Old Trafford earlier this season, do you remember the uh, what happened there? I'll give you a hint. Rasmus Hoyland was involved. You see, you serious? You don't remember this? We were talking about Trossard blocking Anderson. Yes, at set pieces. Rasmus Hoyland tried to do this to which Manchester City player? It was Rodri. I, I, this this wasn't that long ago. Okay, Rodri. Uh, I really want to say that I was out of the country for Man, for the Manchester Derby. I actually think I was. Okay, Manchester uh, City. Against, I got to check. I got to check the dates. Manchester City uh, played at Old Trafford, got a f- uh, free kick, knocked it into the box. Rodri went for it. Hoyland had his arm around Rodri. Rodri went down, and then sprang to his feet and. Uh, flanked by his Manchester City teammates, furiously appealed to the referee, ref, you know, ref. And a play continued, but the Man City players were like, ref, ref. You know, clearly drawing the referee's attention to something serious that had gone on, that had slipped uh, b- mm. below his attention. Had the seri- had something serious gone on? No. It was a, it was a really minor uh, infraction, the type you see at all things. But Manchester City, drew, in drawing everyone's attention to it, forced essentially the VAR to do something. I felt that Liverpool and and when and when they looked at it, they were like, "Well, he does have his arm around him. It is a foul. I mean, it's not the biggest foul we've ever given a penalty for, but like you know." They're all complaining about it. They think it's a foul, and we can kind of see that it is. So I was on the plane, by the way. You were on the plane. That's what I was shaking my face delightedly about. In I this, don't like getting called out like this. In this case, Liverpool played on, and I feel that gave the uh, uh, official, the, the referee, and the VAR cover to say, "That's ah, all right." You know, it's not a big, it's not a big deal. If they had reacted to that by kicking the ball out at their first opportunity and doing what Manchester City do, which is to go to the referee and say, "What are you doing? Yeah. What are you? What are you doing?" Alexis McAllister should actually have uh, taken a look at Luis Diaz's le- leg, right, and then just walked over to the side of the pitch and like vomited. You know, like, that, like that's what that's what you need to do. Like, oh Jesus! Yeah. Oh, it's grim though because I have to say there's so much of this kicking the ball out of play when another player yeah, is I'm injured f- and and players doing it when the a player on the other team is injured. 
often not that seriously looking. Yeah. You're thinking, oh. Oh, God, just get on with the game. What is the mentality? What is the warrior mentality here? And I kind of like when they do yeah, it. So when, do it when a team gets really pissed off with another one for not kicking the ball out of play when you can see the player is not seriously injured. Well, there was people booing, but I assume it was the Liverpool fans booing. Mm. Because, like, Dia, but, they were, but it was their own team in possession. So it was kind of like... I, I don't really get I, like, I, this yeah. is not this is not good game management Man City did the same thing at Everton if you uh, the, they got a penalty at Everton which was an Onana handball which was a kind of a pff, debatable handball you know the type that didn't used to be probably given um, but they made it so clear that they felt passionately there's a penalty there's a penalty ref you know you've got to you've got to have a look at this that um he, you know, they're kind of they're ushering the referee towards mm. a decision, and in cases where I mean, the the thing about this incident, it's not like um, uh, trying to fool the referee that something's happened when it hasn't. It's like when something has happened, and you know that VAR will pick it up if they if they look at it and make sure yeah, to yeah. put them under pressure. This is like a, an aspect of game management that is not that has not previously been. Grim, though, isn't it? The case, yeah, it, yeah. it is. It is grim, but like that's what we have with VAR, and that now you have people who say, "Oh, it's Paul, Paul Tierney again on VAR." You know, he's a cheat. Like, if you want to put uh, Paul Tierney, if you want to, you know, if you want him to make a decision in your favor, you should at least seem as though you feel strongly that you, you are owed a decision. You know what I mean? And and that that's just uh, it seemed like a kind of a naive. Um, a naive moment from them. In the end, of course, it didn't matter. They won four 0 so uh, it was a very good performance. Um, we we already mentioned all of the um, forwards who are playing quite well. Uh, meanwhile, Mohamed Salah is out in Egypt. Uh, I read Simon Hughes is out in Egypt for the Athletic. I read in his um, piece about Salah. Uh, he's now injured, missing at least two games. Back in Egypt, he has faced ferocious criticism from some of the loudest and most outspoken pundits. Ibrahim Said, a two-time AFCON winner turned controversial commentator, has even cast doubts over Salah's commitment to Egypt, claiming he cares more about Liverpool. So uh, he's under pressure, did a press conference. Uh, how do you respond to the criticism of the team in Egypt? I hear the criticism, says Salah. When we lose a match, people are very critical. I think we will continue to improve. It is true I am the captain, but I wish people would be more flexible and realise players are giving their best, even if the outcome is different to what is expected. I asked the supporters to get behind the team. Some people have been saying, says the journalist, the Egyptian team is freer when Salah is not around. Like in the second half against Ghana when the team scored twice. Could your presence be an obstacle? Uh, Salah says, I don't believe my presence puts extra pressure on the players. It is not mandatory to play with Mohamed Salah. <laughs> Any player can be replaced and the others will improve. But it doesn't mean the player has adversely affected the performance of those players. That's all I can say about your question. Uh, now he is apparently going home to Liverpool to, to work on his injury, which I'm sure would have yeah, proved. Yeah, that'll go down well. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and he's hoping that he will. Uh, yeah, so he wasn't in, in the Ivory Coast where the Cup of Nations is on. He's coming back to Liverpool to work on the injury and yeah. then potentially going back to Ivory Coast if if they get they get as far, far as the semi final. Yeah, I think he's I think he's due to miss two games at least. So if they were to get through those two matches then they'd be into the quarter final and uh, maybe he'd be out for for then. But certainly uh, if they get to the final, uh, Klopp said that if he's fit by then, which he probably will be, that he will be going back for that. So it seems as though uh he will be he certainly won't be playing for Liverpool until Egypt get knocked out of this tournament. Put it that way. Um, we'll see how um, we'll see how that goes for them. Declan Kelly emails in. Omar coming. Dear second captains, heartened to read Ken's piece today as an antidote to the strange coverage of the Omar Omar Barada coup over the weekend. That's inverted commas. Omar Barada coup. Henry Winter's mega tweet was a particular highlight. Apparently, Man United have put the focus back on football and away from the commercial by. Checks notes signing the guy at the heart of Man City's commercial strategy over the last decade. Anyway, uh, in this case, Ken's got the shotgun. Omar's got the briefcase. It's all in the game, though, right? <laughs> Says Declan in Aberdeen. This is in relation to the new Manchester United CEO. Ken. Yeah, I mean, what's the mega tweet? Um, I guess it must be this longer tweet from Henry Winter, who has a blue tick. Um, he has, of course, more than a million followers. Uh, Do you get a blue? Uh, take it automatically if you have a million followers I think so yeah. ah, right, okay. or some some large number anyway. okay, right. hashtag MUFC appointment of Omar Barada is a major statement of intent by an Ineos Ineos I've, I'm learning to say uh, people who follow cycling have been telling me that it's not 
Ineos. It's Ineos. Gotcha. But um, they're going for and getting elite operators. They're also making a statement about the new culture under Sir Jim Radcliffe. Uh, quote, the club is determined to put football and performance on the pitch back at the heart of everything we do. Omar's appointment represents the first step on this journey, unquote, at Man United State. The Glazers are still around like a bad smell. But the focus is back on football, not just commercial. The balance was wrong under the Glazers when the club at times seemed a megastore with a pitch attached. Commercial is important. It deepens playing budget. But it cannot be the main focus. Interesting to see whether Shift sees a change in pre-season tours, corporate demands on squad, etc. Emphasis on performance significant too. Individual and collective responsibility to perform better. <laughs> really? <laughs> it sounds like a, kick, you know what it sounds like? It's a palace fan. It sounds like a crystal yeah. palace yeah. banner, I've got to say. Yeah, <laughs> Individual <laughs> responsibility to perform better. Investment in improving performance culture. Sir Dave Brailsford's area of expertise. Encouraging day for United. Okay. Uh, it is encouraging. United themselves, uh, their statement um, included one of the most remarkable sentences I've seen in, uh, um, in one of these statements for some time. It is our, it is our stated ambition to reestablish Manchester United as a title winning club. We're pleased Omar will be joining us to help achieve that goal. Comma, so that, comma, once again, comma, United fans can see, comma, in the words of Sir Matt Busby, comma, the red flag <laughs> flying high at the summit of English, European and world football. The red flag flying high. I mean, that's 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 the red flag. I mean, you know, yeah, that's that's a that's a song. Matt Busby didn't write the song. <laughs> I think the song says, "We'll keep the red flag flying here." Well, supposedly, I was looking this up again because I was uh, apparently Busby was in hospital after the Munich disaster, and you know, did he say these words? But reportedly whispered to his assistant Jimmy Murphy on his hospital bed urging him to keep the red flag flying. Okay. So maybe that's where the origin... That must be where, where where the origin that Manchester United are referring to comes from. But um, they're still not his words, though. I mean, that's the, you know... Matt Busby, I'm sure, was well aware of the, um, the famous uh, socialist anthem, the red flag, uh, which includes those words... Uh, so I think he was quoting, I, you know, if I was to say, with or without you, with or without you, oh, oh I can't live with or without, would you, would you say, in the words of Ken Early, would you say that? I'd pro- probably have to say Bono there. Yeah. I mean, I think all of the songs, to be fair, were credited to you 2 You too, indeed. Um, uh, yeah, that's, or is it Bono the Edge? You know what? I don't think so. I think it's all, I think, listen, I'm going to Google it again. Hey, here's a question for you. Yeah. You know the song Mystery Girl by Roy Orbison? Yeah. Yeah. Who wrote that song? Oh, I've heard this. Here, there's, there's, I'll tell you, I'll give you a hint. Yeah. We've just been talking about it. <laughs> Matt Busby. No, actually, no. <laughs> Bono. Would you believe Bono wrote that song? You're joking me. Yeah, Bono just, uh, I don't know why he gave it to Roy Orbison. It's a good song, but wow. that's just the generosity of the man. Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, where are we? Omar Barada. So, so yeah. I mean, the, I thought this was a, a, a really strange move by Man United. Now, in one sense, it's not a strange move. You're getting a guy who's like a, had a high position uh, in Man City, who are by common acknowledgement the the most successful club in the world at the moment, and. The best run club, people say. I mean, that's kind of a way of saying they win things a lot. You know, I mean, it's, but you know, things, it's not just about spending all the money. It's, uh, you know, things are going really well. Best in class. Best in, best in class. Uh, yeah, that was, a, <laughs> that was a quote. Um, well, Gary Neville says it all the time. Yeah, it's it's one of, uh, the, it was actually in, in Laurie Whitwell's piece about this, uh, a United employee is quoted saying, hiring Brada is exactly the type of move United should be making. This is a strike at true best in class, which is a, this is All a strike All those times we said best in class, class before, we didn't mean it. This time though, true best we do in mean class. Um, you know, it's, it's funny because he's been working at City for a long time, but it's like, you know, the, the Dunphy quote on Charles, you know, everybody knew about him but no one had seen him well in this case nobody's seen him and almost nobody knew about him far from Jim Ratcliffe and Dave Brailsford you know what I mean he's, he's one of these kind of uh, well known within those circles in the game but not like uh, Soriano or Bagiristein like a you know a, a sort of yeah. a um, 
they've gone for someone a bit lower down than the, you know, it, I mean, obviously to, to sort of, if Ferran Soriano was to announce, I'm taking over at Man United, everyone would be like, whoa, <laughs> this is, whoa, <laughs> there'd be a lot to unpack with that. This is kind of more, why would this guy leave? You know, what does it say about the situation at City? Is it like, I, I think Ferran's sticking around for the long haul? Or is it, mm, not sure about this City thing, maybe it's time, maybe we've, Maybe we've had our best years. It might be time to jump ship. Okay, that's all his own. You know, this is obviously a bigger job than he had. You know, the, the chance to run Manchester United as opposed to sort of being an important commercial cog or commercial or football operations cog at City. Um, the idea of like hiring someone from the best in class has been done before. Um, you know, this is how City hired Soriano and Bagirstein in the first place. They, they hired them because they were part of Barcelona who, who had won everything with Rijkaard and, and Pep. Okay. But the problem with this is he's he's been working for City for, what, 13, nearly 13 mm -hmm. years? And there's the whole thing about City being charged. Yeah, this, like, what are you doing? Like, you pretty know, serious allegations during that time. City are being charged uh, with the, with this stuff that happened between 2009 to 2018. He's been there since 2011, and he's been chief of football operations for since 2016. And before that, was working in commercial. I mean, are you sure? <laughs> it just sort of seems to me like, even if you leave aside the question of, can anyone really replicate? Could even the great Ferran Seriano do what he's done at Man City at an at another club which wasn't owned by Abu Dhabi? I mean, that's that in itself is there. Appear to be a couple of circumstances, unique circumstances at play here. That yeah, maybe these skills aren't quite as transferable as we might like to think. Is it a really a replicable model? Is it the kind of thing that other people can just you know you could just get a set of instructions and build your Man City from scratch? Day one, he walks in, and he goes, "Has anyone here talking?" To the Norwegian investment fund. <laughs> <laughs> no? Okay. But, it, you know, it just sort of kind of, I do wonder about that, why you would why you would hire someone, because there's lots of people that you could hire. Uh, and, okay, City are obviously very well respected, you know, best in class, and blah, blah. We still don't know the outcome of that case. If the, if the case goes against Man City, then people who were there in uh, important positions, and he has been there in important positions, are surely going to you know, be a little bit of, well, we, you join us from Enron. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's sort of, you, you worked at Enron. This sounds like the kind of thing that that is going to be, uh, that should be a problem, but it's actually only going to be a problem if Manchester United continue to struggle on the pitch. You know, if they're successful, uh, that success rubs off on everybody. People say, geez, this new CEO is really good. Fair play. Yeah, we did well to get him from, to poach him, headhunt yeah. him from Manchester City. If things go badly, this might, it might be the kind of thing that gets thrown at them. It's similar to the Paratici, the piece we did last week with Jack Pitbrook yeah. about uh, him, about the former football director, sporting director at Spurs, who, you know, still consults with them on a, an ad hoc basis and seems to have a fair degree of influence on their transfer policy, despite his worldwide ban. Yeah. from football because he is still allowed to consult and and so he is doing and nobody at Spurs seems to put out about the fact that they, they're working with this guy. He's doing a tremendous job in a kind of an unofficial capacity. So yeah, the, I mean, it, it used to be that people would be like, oh, why are we hiring this? Like I, I remember back in the in the 90s, um, Peter Johnson was the, the chairman of Everton and was like known to be a Liverpool fan. So it was like, this would always come up whenever, you know, we're, we're struggling. It was like, but he's a Liverpool fan, you know, and then that they were putting banners on the cop saying Agent Johnson and all this type of stuff. I haven't seen anything of that with Omar Brett. Like, why would we hire someone from Man City? You know, doesn't it, it's like the the idea that, oh, his loyalty might be a problem doesn't, doesn't even arise. You know what I mean? But if they were to start losing some matches or um, then suddenly people might be like, hey, hang on a second. What were we thinking with this guy? 1850-715-815 Hello, good afternoon, and you're very welcome to Lion Live. Five one double five one is our text number, and Joe at rt.ie from wherever you are in the world. Ken, good afternoon. How are you? You saw it. What happened? I mean, I actually was abused by a Dane as well. Mm -hmm. The night before. Go ahead. I was, I was, I was having uh, dinner after the 
the, the you know we finished our work or whatever on Friday. Went into town. We were we were sitting in a restaurant. Uh, you were a journalist uh, and uh, myself mm-hmm. and three other journalists. Mm-hmm. And uh, at some point we were. Uh, it turned out we were all looking at our phones simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Like we were waiting in the bill or something. Mm-hmm. And this Danish guy mm-hmm. staggered up from behind, behind mm-hmm. suddenly leaned over the table and he goes, "Go ahead. Is there a Wi-Fi? Is there a Wi-Fi in here?" The whole thing, say, um, Ken, the whole thing is, is getting more and more bizarre. You, you didn't do it, did you? Did you report that to the FAI or anything? We were like, uh, uh, actually, we're just on the three G. Mm-hmm. Before we could finish explaining, we weren't actually on the Wi Fi. He goes, Wi Fi wankers, you're all Wi Fi wankers. Did he write because, this himself? Did he, we compo- were, sorry, did he compose this line himself? You know, uh, he all he'd seen was for. I, I don't know how he knew we were Irish, but he he knew. Sam Cunty is in Qatar covering the Asian Cup. It's the first time we've talked about the competition this year. Sam, thanks very much for talking to us. Uh, Pleasure. It's actually the Asian Cup 2023, but it's being played now because it's in Qatar. It's usually in the summer. It feels like these winter international tournaments are probably going to become more of a regular thing, are they? Yeah, absolutely. I think with football heading uh, the Saudi way, with Saudi Arabia hosting, uh, subject to confirmation by the FIFA Congress, uh, the 2024 World Cup, as you said, it looks like uh, we'll have more of these winter tournaments. Um, I mean, I guess the only advantage is uh, being here is it's the lovely weather. So um, we've been enjoying that. But uh, yeah, that's just about it. Um, I'm sure that the Qatar World Cup uh, brings back happy memories uh, for Ken as well. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, it was the last time I saw you, Sam, was, was over in that uh, the shimmering city of Doha. Uh, how, how is it? How would you characterize the... the Doha Asian Cup 2023 vibe compared to the Doha World Cup 2022? Yeah, no surprise if I say that it's very different. This is obviously a continental tournament. The atmosphere is different. It's more low-key. The city is, you know, no longer dressed up in in big banners. Um, Though instead you see a lot of Palestinian flags projected on buildings. Uh, but the reality is, you know, the, the spotlight is, is no longer on Qatar. They had the World Cup last year. That was, you know, their big moment. And you get the sense that this tournament is a sort of afterthought. And remember, it was supposed to be held in China in the first place. Um, but you also notice it in the reporting on the tournament itself. It's, you know, it's much more... Uh, focused on, on the action on the field with local media, you know, it's just day-to-day wall coverage and there's hardly any criticism um, and no questions are being asked about uh, the World Cup legacy. Um, if you want, I can shed some light on the World Cup legacy because I returned to Qatar twice last year, so yeah. in 2023, and uh, I can safely say from what I saw on the ground and from my reporting that, you know, the Kafala system is alive and well. And I, uh, it's sad to say, but the life of migrant workers hasn't gotten better. They still face passport confiscation, wage theft, long working hours, no legal protection and other forms of labor abuse. And now FIFA is supposed to deliver a report on the legacy of the tournament, but so far has failed to. And it's a sort of a wider reflection of, you know, football in general, with the exception, I think, of Norwegian FA president Lisa Klavenes has, you know, remained silent on, on the plight of migrant workers. Well, we, uh, we look forward uh, with feverish anticipation to FIFA's report on the on the legacy there but you mentioned some of the palestine flags being projected on buildings there mm-hmm. uh i mean i remember palestine um, being a big issue at the 2022 world cup i mean particularly as morocco went on i remember seeing the, the crowd going to morocco um against france and it almost looked as though france were going to play palestine uh with the with the number of flags that the fans were bringing to that um world cup semi-final um, Palestine are actually in this tournament, though. They've been playing games in this tournament, um, and it really is a—it's a—it's an astonishing situation. I mean, maybe you can just—can you—can you give us some idea of the um, the sort of circumstances, the environment that surrounds uh, this team at that competition? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, I attended and covered both Palestine's matches against the Ireland and against the United Arab Emirates. And, and I have to say these Palestine matches are, are something else in the sense that they are, you know, you can sense the pressure on the players. You can sense the emotions around it and the degree of symbolism. Because, you know, here you have a Palestinian entity, so to say, representing their nation and people on a major stage. And I think, first of all, it also kind of has to be pointed out that in many ways it's a miracle that they are even here at the tournament at all. Um, I think the Palestinian FA with great difficulty kind of cobbled together a squad because, you know, with roadblocks and the increasingly dangerous situation in the West Bank, it was very difficult for the Palestinian FA to get their players out of Palestine and, you know, into uh, Jordan. Uh, from there, they traveled to Algeria and Saudi Arabia, um, where they staged uh, training camps. Um, but it was very emotional when uh, Palestine um, opened their tournament um, against Iran at Education City Stadium, which was the venue where Brazil were eliminated from the World Cup, just to refresh your, your memory. Um, and, and you sense that, you know, fans here have adopted Palestine as their second favorite team in the tournament. And their matches, you know, everyone is chanting free Palestine. Um, and, you know, politics are always omnipresent at the Asian Cup because the game against Iran, now the Iranians had brought their pro-regime supporters who were chanting that to Israel which was met by a silence from the other supporters who, who don't identify with with those kind of chants. And obviously, Iran is accused of funding and supporting Hamas. But those Iranian fans didn't get a response from the other supporters, they reverted to type by singing Dead to America. And, you know, politics were not far away in the, in the second game as well against the United Arab Emirates. They got constantly booed because of the simple fact that they have normalized uh, ties with Israel. Reportedly, I can't confirm this as I wasn't there myself, but on the eve of the game, there were fights between Palestine and UAE fans um, in the souk. But I think what I personally take away from the UAE-Palestine games, that support for Palestine was so overwhelming. Um, and it was a reflection of Arab sentiment in, in the sense uh, of how they feel about this issue. They don't see it as an issue, but they see it as a cause. And, and in their minds, Palestine uh, must be free. Yeah, I mean, I mean that is something which, you know, was, was sort of noticeable... You know the, the 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 divergence oftentimes between um, between what governments in the Middle East say and do and what the people um, <clears throat> what the people think about these international issues. But but it, you know they. I wonder to to what extent this. I mean I mean clearly uh, you, you've already talked about how how there's Palestine flags and buildings and and even rows between supporters and the soup. But it, this the whole international situation is is a sort of focus of. Um, of discussion there, I mean, because it is, I, you know, in one in one way, it, it's clear that there's overwhelming support for the cause of Palestine, but there's also, um, you know, political complications. For example, Saudi Arabia and, and you, you've mentioned the United Arab Emirates uh, are both participating in the tournament. The Emirates playing against Palestine. Um, uh, we have a situation at the moment where the, the Houthis in Yemen are uh, uh, in support of Palestine, um, you know, threatening uh, ships going through the Red Sea and now being bombed by the US and UK uh, and some other countries. But Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates uh, have been bombing or were engaged in, in war against the Houthis um, for years before that. So I'm not really sure um, how their governments um, are coming down on these issues. Yeah, I think you got that spot on in the sense that there is a divergence between popular sentiment in the Arab world and what the governments are actually doing or, or not doing um, at all. I mean, here in Doha, you know, you open the newspaper, you watch Al Jazeera, Gaza is always, uh, you know, top of the headlines, obviously, and it is the number one, you know, talking point here. 
Um, of course, also among the Palestinian players, um, it's the number one talking point. Um, but, you know, perhaps I'm, I'm talking with a Western hat on here, but is there perhaps a chance that these, you know, these, um, all this, this outpouring, this, this kind of sentiment is, is uh, what I'm trying to get to is that Arab countries are perhaps you know, appeasing their population by, you know, showing support for Palestine, um, but in reality, not really doing all that much on the ground. And I asked this question um, to Basil Mikdati, who, who writes a football blog called Football Palestine, and he's been following the Palestinian team for 15 years. He knows all the ins and outs. And I, I think his, his reply was, was very clear. There is a general sentiment that Arab governments are not doing enough, you know, to help and, and support Palestine um, and, and make a difference on the ground. What about the human side of this, Sam? I saw one of the Palestine players, Mohammed Saleh, is quoted as saying that his family, he didn't know exactly where his family were when he was talking. My family are living in a tent on open land. May God help them, says his home in Gaza City was destroyed and shortly before the tournament kicked off he was told that his uncle and his aunt and their children had been killed. How, how much are the players speaking like this about the horrors that they and their families are going through back home? Yeah, it is a big talking point in the, the Palestinian camps obviously now three of their players uh, have direct links to Gaza or have family um, still in Gaza. And I spoke to Yasser Hamad, the, the central defender, um, and it is very hard for them to focus on the football. Now, the team as such has not imposed the rules on them uh, in the sense of, you know, stay away from social media, um, don't follow the news constantly. So the coach and, and team management are leaving it to the players um, to deal with you know, the influx of, of horrible news on, on a day-to-day basis. Uh, but remember, this is also a very resilient team. They have had to deal uh, with what the UN describes as an occupation for, for so many years. And, and Yasser Ahmed told me a, a, an, an anecdote that perhaps illustrates that. He first played for, he was first selected for Palestine in 2019 after the last Asian Cup. And so... On one during one of his first call-ups um, at uh, at Tel Aviv Airport, Israeli immigration uh, officer questioned him for hours and asked him directly, "Are you going to engage with Hamas?" So that's the kind of uh, barriers that these players face, and and obviously given the, the current uh, backdrop of war in Gaza, um, I think it's it's very difficult for. For them to focus uh, on, on on football, and and that was clearly visible as well in their opening game against Iran. They conceded twice within 20 minutes, and they were a bag of nerves. They were very very nervous uh, for the uh, occasion, and they lacked composure. And and you know, no one can can blame them for that. No, um, I wonder also that the, the the Asia obviously being a huge uh, continent, most of the countries in the Asian Cup um, have internationally rec- have recognised the state of Palestine, but not all. Uh, the governments of Australia, Japan, and South Korea have not officially recognised Palestine, but could uh, could play against them uh, in this tournament. I mean, it's, it's something that that could happen. I mean, what's the What's the sort of situation with that? Do, do they just sort of get on with it in that case? Yeah, I think they do get on with it. I mean, four years ago, Australia played Palestine in the group stages of the Asian Cup. I think they beat them uh, 3-0. Um, there was not all that much controversy around the match. Um, so in general, and as you know, with these tournaments, you know, governing bodies like the AFC or, or FIFA, for example, they, they try to keep things... Um, as non-political uh, as possible. Um, and that was illustrated by, you know, the message, a moment of, of silence was observed before the Iran game and before the UAE game. And uh, the stadium announcer, PA, he basically said, 
demanded a moment of silence for the ongoing situation in Palestine. So you see, the messaging is often um, non-political. Um, can I ask about Iran? You uh, uh, obviously have seen them in action against Palestine. I remember at the World Cup um, uh, just over a year ago, the Iranian team was at the center of a of um, of a big controversy in the sense that at the time there were uh, major protests happening in Iran, um, and there was clear division in the sense of how Iranians should uh, feel about this team, how they should support the team, or, or, or how the team itself should react to things like the anthem, which uh, in uh, I forget which game it was, but before one of the games, one of the players, they kind of pointedly didn't sing their um, national anthem, which I don't think went down well, obviously with the government in Iran. Um, what's the situation now? Have things moved on in the, in the intervening um, year and a bit? Yeah, things have definitely moved on, but for perhaps in, in the wrong direction. Now, I remember during the war, especially that first game um, against England, which Iran lost 6-2, you know, there were a lot of fans who held banners and wore T-shirts with the words, Woman Life Freedom. Um, as the tournament progressed, obviously, Qatar and local organizers prohibited uh, those kind of items in the stadiums. But, you know, the sense was that that was Iran's team, the, the team of the people. And everyone who's ever been to an Iran match uh, in a major finals knows how emotional it gets and how the nation rallies behind this one team. Um, and what's been very obvious here at this final, uh, this tournament, is that there are no fans from the diaspora. So normally... Iranians from around the world flock to Iran's matches, no matter which tournament, no matter where they are played. But it's very clear that there are no mem- uh, no fans from the diaspora here. And that tells you something. This is perhaps no longer the people's team, but it is the team of the Islamic Republic. Um, and that is further conf- confirmed when you look at the sort of you know, team set up. The, the coach, Amir Galunai, is an old-school conservative Iranian. Um, within the back-home staff, you've got members of the security services who are here to, you know, keep an eye on the team, perhaps even control them, because maybe Taremi, for example, uh, he looked absolutely miserable in the press conference. It almost felt like he was a prisoner. Um, so the atmosphere in the team is very bad. Um, there are different factions within the squad. Um, so this is definitely, you know, the the, the days of Carlos Kios who would communicate with the outside world and have a sort of opener you know, attitude. Although, and, even if it was just, even if it was just to tell a journalist, what do you think you mean by asking me that question? I, I remember him um, getting pretty annoyed by uh, by a question which which appeared the the answer the journalist was listening seemed to uh, imply that Keros would would have to criticise the government, and he 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 wasn't having that. He wasn't he wasn't open about everything, is what I'm saying, Sam. No, 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 I totally agree. But there was an element during his period as coach of Iran that, you know, made the team somewhat more accessible and open to the rest of the world. Now, obviously, during the World Cup, with such immense political pressure, uh, pressure, he he never engaged on any sort of political question, as we know uh, from, you know, attending those press conferences. But, you know, that team had the people's support, and, and this team just feels like, you know, it's a team of the government. Yeah. Okay, very well said. Well, listen, the, in terms of Palestine, their last group game is against Hong Kong. That's on tomorrow, Tuesday. So we'll see what happens in that one. Sam, listen, thanks so much for talking to us about that. All right, cheers. Have a good one. Cheers. Bye-bye. Fair to say, anybody could have managed those guys? No, of course not. It was about 12. <laughs> Everyone in the city knew about it, but no one had seen him. Look how happy I was. What the fuck happened? No, really. What happened? What happened? 
It is not war and death and famine. It's not that at all. It's the opposite of that. It's to persuade the world outside of that. That's why sport's important. Do you want to hear some more Matt Busby quotes before we go? Yes. Yes. Winning isn't everything. There should be no conceit in victory and no despair in defeat. Yet he also says, I never wanted Manchester United to be second to anybody. Only the best would be good enough. Best in class, you best could say. Best in class, yeah. In all modesty, my summing up of 1955-6 and 1956-7 must be that no club in the country could live with Manchester United. I manifested this, yeah. <laughs> Matt Busby. I'll give you one more. Santiago Bernabeu. I sat down, I dreamed it, I believed it, I made it happen. Uh, Bernabeu was sniffing around at one stage trying to lure him to Real Madrid with the promise, leave Manchester for Madrid and I will give you a paradise. To which... Busby retorted, Manchester United is my heaven. Wow. Oh, yeah. That's good. That's stuff. on the banner. That's good. Stuff. That's on the banner. More football throughout the week on the World Service. Thanks, Ken. Thanks, Thank Murph. you. Oh. Thank you, Owen. Thank you, Ken. Thanks for listening. The Second Captain's Podcast is part of the ACAST Creator Network. If you would prefer to hear all episodes without any ads, become a member today on secondcaptains.com. Five euro a month plus VAT. That's the second time he's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. The second captain's world service. It is not war and death and famine, it's not that at all. It's the opposite of that, it's to persuade the world outside of that. That's why sport's important. <laughs>